My guest today is described by colleagues as one of the smartest, most disciplined, hardworking and supportive directors I've ever had during my career. An exceptional communicator, he demonstrates thoughtful leadership by directing the interview process and implementing a presentation-style interview that was the final step before hiring decisions were made. Here's another one. Highly experienced in strategic business development, my experience in working, him, working with him is full of achievements in the growth of his client businesses. His integrity and work ethic are attributes that encourage me to work hard with him and for him as a peer and employee. He's an excellent at everything he does. He was key to our ability in developing new business units in emerging and strategic markets. He is an impressive work ethic coupled with the highest level of integrity. He is highly successful in relationship building and has had a solid reputation with all of his customers, partners and colleagues. Steve Haddock, you're very welcome to the podcast. appreciate uh, being here and it's an honor. Oh, well, pleasure's all mine, Steve. Uh, Steve, very common thread there through the testimonials people have given you. And again, I, there was only a small selection of what I could have chosen. And what I get from that is, is the hardworking jumps out, honesty, integrity, engagement. Would that be a fair summation? Yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, I've had a, a lot of uh, great mentors over the years and, uh, you know, worked for some great leaders and also for some uh, not the best. And so uh, those are definitely, uh, I think, the characteristics that uh, I love to think about. Cool. Uh, let's go back a little bit to uh, young Steve. Where did you grow up? What sort of experience was that like? Anything out of the ordinary as, as a child? Yeah, I think uh, quite a bit. Uh, you know, as I think... Uh, to my, you know, uh, back to my background. I mean, I've been uh, ever since I was a little kid, always trying to uh, to earn money. Um, you know, I go back to, uh, you know, the very first time I remember uh, my mom. We lived on a golf course at the time. I was in kindergarten and uh, setting up a lemonade stand, and she would drop me off on hole three, and I would go in this little town in Minnesota, and I would sit there, and she taught me I'm supposed to get two coins, you know, a nickel and a dime, and you know, here's how to serve your clients. And, uh, you know, I'd wow. sit out there for the afternoon. And uh, I remember uh, distinctly, my mom, you know, continued to remind me one day I came home just crying, tears are streaming down. And she's like, well, what happened, Steve? What's going on? And uh, well, I got ripped off. This guy gave me a quarter and I knew I was supposed to get two coins. So, uh, you know, I apparently got ripped off. But, uh, you know, so I started at a very young age. Um, and, uh, you know, I think back to, uh, you know, grade school where I would sell, make my own cinnamon toothpicks, got called into the principal's office because you weren't apparently supposed to sell cinnamon toothpicks in class. And so been uh, working ever since, you know, worked my way, uh, had a permanent job, I would say since the age of uh, probably sixth grade and uh, worked my way through uh, college. Um, I think one of the things that was, uh, you know, I Tragedy happened uh, when I was uh, 17 and lost both my parents. And so uh, kind of had to step up and uh, take care of my two younger yeah. sisters. And so uh, just kind of always had a lot on the shoulders. And, you know, as yeah. I look back, it's just that. Uh, That's, that must have been tough. Yeah, it was. And, you know, I think, you know, look back and it's like, you know, I got uh, a lot of great lessons learned uh, through the years with my parents. And, uh, you know, that's kind of made me who I am and just, uh, you know, kind of all about who I am mm. today. It sounds like your mother was your first uh, sales manager. She was. 
she was. Yeah, tell me a little bit about her, what she was like. Uh, she was a very uh, sweet lady. She uh, just had this uh, personality that uh, growing infection. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. I look back and uh, continue to hear stories of uh, my friends uh, growing up or their parents and what an impact that she had on them. But she had this infectious laughter and was just kind of that uh, person that everyone wanted to be around. Mm. And, and she could never have known what was going to happen to, to her and her, her husband when you were 17. But it sounds like she did a superb job of preparing you for, for that. Yeah, for sure. Wow. That's, that's phenomenal. Are you the eldest child? I am. Okay, so you've always had a little bit of that extra responsibility on your shoulders. Definitely have. Yeah. And that's something that has stayed with you throughout life in terms of you know, the eldest child often is there to take on the responsibility. You know, it's given to them at first, but then they it becomes of who they are and how they define themselves, and they're first to step up. Would that be? Yeah, that's still the case. Uh, luckily, I uh, live here in Denver, Colorado, and uh, both my sisters live less than a mile away from us, and uh, we, they were the first ones to get here, and we uh, eventually followed them out here, and we've got... Uh, three young boys that are seven, nine and 12. And uh, my sister has uh, two that are right there in the same age. And so uh, we have a lot of fun together. I'm curious because you, 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 did you say Minnesota? Uh, originally from, uh, we, we moved around quite a bit when I was younger, but originally okay. from Kansas City. Kansas, uh, well, that's a long way from Denver too. How did you all end up back in, in Denver, the three of you? Well, you know, Denver's one of those places that's a, it's a, a lot of transplants end up coming here and uh, just I think the mountains and everything that it has to offer, the sunshine and uh, I've always been yeah. really attracted to, I'm very adventurous, I love just pushing my body to extremes and just being out with nature and just feeling connected and uh, my sisters were the first ones that moved from California to here and uh, while we have no one from our family from Colorado, uh, my aunts and uncles, uh, cousins, there's 22 of us now that are here in Denver. Mm. Wow. Sounds like one person went in, loved it, said, come on over. It's fantastic. And, <laughs> and it I is. have to say, I, I, I've been there a few times, never for very long, but it's absolute for anybody who's never been to Denver. You gotta, it's so different. I mean, I, for a lot of us coming from Europe, our experience of the States tend to be East Coast first and foremost, maybe New York, Boston, maybe Chicago if you're Irish. Uh, and then, of course, West Coast, so you go to typically San Francisco. But there's that little bit of space in the middle between East and West Coast that a lot of people, certainly my experience, would have had no experience of. And you really, really don't get to experience the United States properly until you have experience. And again, they're all different. I think Kansas is different. Denver is different to Oklahoma or, or um, uh, Arizona and so on. But uh, Denver is a Denver is a special space if you're if you're if you're an outdoor sort. There's yeah, just I, so much. Yeah, and I uh, you know one of the uh, I've had the great fortune of uh, had a motorcycle for many years, and uh, we would travel all around the U.S. and uh, it was quite the way to uh, to see the country because you're right, there is so much to explore, to see, yeah. uh, to just kind of see how people live. Yeah. Was it a motorcycle or was it a Harley? Uh, so I had a uh, Yamaha Royal Star. So it was a big old touring yeah, bike. We'll forgive you. Yeah. <laughs> They're not, it's funny. You see, I, I always smile at this, particularly when it comes to people from the States, because I've rented out a Harley on a couple of occasions over there. 
and it's funny because you drive guys drive on the other side of the road to us your 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 left hand is 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 on the inside and so you can wave at somebody passing you by and what struck me was all the harley guys all wave each other when they're passing by but if it's a japanese guy on a japanese bike forget it <laughs> i just thought it was kind of funny it's there's that kind of camaraderie between bikers. Um, I, I'd like to talk to you, Steve, a little bit about um, from, from that point. L- let's go back to 17 and uh, yeah, tragedy, untold tragedy is, is visited on you. Um, where do you go from there? Where do you, uh, where does, yeah, the career, well, what happens next? Uh, beyond that in terms of education, work, etc. Yeah. Uh, well, luckily, I mean, I think one thing that was ingrained in me at a very early age was, uh, you know, the need for education and the learning and to, you know, take control. You know, not always will we have uh, things handed to us in a silver platter. And so there was a mm-hmm. lot of planning prior to that as far as where I was going to go to college, uh, what I wanted to do. And so had already begun that initial process of where I wanted to go to school and, uh, you know, was able to uh, step away, go to college. It was about, I went to Missouri State uh, down in Springfield, Missouri. So it was just a few hours uh, from home. And so I was able to, I don't know, escape, I guess, for a bit and, you know, Mm. be able to live and start my life there where I didn't have kind of the burden of everything that happened back home and uh, could just kind of be myself. But at the same time, I had to uh, take care of myself. Uh, I had to, you know, from a financial perspective, it was completely on my own. Um, and then at the same time, you know, making sure that my sisters were taken care of and, uh, you know, mm. they had their needs met and could be there for them both as mm. a, you know, as a brother, as a friend and kind of as a father mm. figure as well. Mm. It's clear from your story that sales was always going to be a big part of it. And, and, and you raise something I think is quite interesting. Coming from somebody who's in the business of sales education, that what I've discovered that the people who are really good at it, it, it sales is not learnt in the classroom. It's learnt on the lemonade stand, on the street, knocking on doors, selling charity lines or whatever they may be. But that's where that, where the, the the fundamentals of human interaction, asking, presenting, all the all the various elements that put people out there, and it sounds to me like you had that grounding. There's no clear. Was was there any doubt that you would go into sales, or did you have something else in mind when you yeah, were in college? I was going to school for finance, so I kind of thought uh, I would be. You know, my dad was a. Uh, president of a couple different banks and kind of thought, saw myself going down the finance path, went to school for that and thought I'd probably be like a stockbroker or something like that. And uh, one of the jobs I worked at in college was uh, working for MCI, so a long distance phone company. And my job was to call up and interrupt people during their dinner meals and uh, try to get them to switch over their long distance and save some money. And, uh, you know, initially... It was, uh, you know, initially kind of joined that, had a bunch of friends there, and uh, it was really the first sales training that I'd ever gone through and just had tremendous success there, Uh, President's Club after President's Club. And by the way, Paul, it was one of the best college jobs ever because uh, it was Monday through Thursday from 5 to 10.30 in the evening. So didn't interfere with my weekends, were completely open, and most of the time... 
you know, your friends didn't go out to the bars until 1030 anyway. So, it, you know, didn't miss out on a whole lot. But uh, through that, it really had some great coaches, uh, it's great managers, and uh, just saw the success, saw the pathway to uh, make a great income and really have control of my own destiny as far as how much I wanted to earn. Yeah. You said your father was uh, uh, in banking. I, I'm, I'm assuming, is that why you moved around a lot? Because he would have moved yeah. from, that's typical in, in the banking industry. Um, something I, I know, I remember listening to a comedian once, and he said that his parents moved around a lot because of his father's job. And as a result, because he was starting in several different schools, he said, you, you learned very quickly to connect with people. Yeah. And, and it was, he said it was more of a survival mechanism that if you got accepted by people and did it quickly and you didn't have time to screw it up, that that, that was a skill set he had developed. Um, I, I was just wondering, was that something you were ever conscious of yeah. in setting up? Absolutely. We moved, uh, I think by the time we hit kindergarten, I had moved uh, five or six times. And wow. so uh, there was definitely, you know, every place you moved, you had to adapt, you had to, you know, make friends quickly. Um, you know, schools were all at different levels. And so I remember uh, second grade having to go to summer school uh, and actually first grade as well, um, just to get caught up because some of the schools weren't all at the same level. But yeah, you had to learn to, uh, to adapt, to make friends. And you know, looking back, it's like, you know, that was some great lessons uh, that I had to learn and uh, just mm. how to make friendships and uh, connect with others. Mm. That yeah, I'm curious to know when you're hiring people, in terms of the traits and characteristics you look for. Is there anything in your own story that you're looking to replicate or find in others? Yeah, uh, definitely grit. Um, so I feel like that uh, you know there's so much in in work that uh, you know it's not going to be easy street. Stuff's going to ha you know happen mm. and. Um, you know, I always try to look at uh, people that either like athletes, people uh, that have done extracurricular activities, you know, stories of them having to overcome things because it's always easy to, you know, when you've got the silver platter in your hands given to you, it's easy to be fairly successful. Um, but stuff's going to happen, right, uh, mm -hmm. in life. And so knowing whether it be, you know, through athletics, through their personal life, through, you know, some sort of work, you know, what have they had to do to really overcome, um, to be able to, to get ahead. And, you know, that kind of shows the tenacity of someone that they're focused and that if a rub bump hits their way, you know, that they can endure and find a way to, uh, overcome it. Mm, makes sense. As you transition from sales, I'm curious to know about the, the journey from sales where you're successful, you're making president's club. And I know you said that was college, but I'm assuming that that carried on as well when you started full-time. Um, I, I know like it's been said many, many times that very often the best salesperson is promoted to sales manager. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they've got the skill sets and so sure. on. And, and I wanted to know what your journey was like, what, what that bridge between sales and sales management was it a, a natural step or were there a lot of things you had to learn about yourself and about the skill sets for leadership that you didn't have? Yeah, uh, it's a great question. I mean, I think there are, um, you know, I went into management fairly young in, in that college role. 
uh, after three years, got moved into a supervisor role where I was managing, leading a team of 18 people, anywhere from college age on up to 50s, 60s, you know, in retirement. Uh, and so I learned at a pretty young age with uh, mm. some of the skills. And, you know, I think one thing that you learn is that the, you know, sometimes, you know, as you, you're younger, you think you want to get into management. It's all about the money. But the reality is, in, you know, especially for your first few years, you're going to make less money as a manager than you would as an individual contributor. Um, and, you know, as an individual contributor in sales, often you have, you know, I kind of think of it as your, your own your own your own business right and so you're able to think and feel like what you know identify strategize on what it takes to be successful to have your own business to be successful but you also have that flexibility of i'm in charge of myself and yes you need to have a good team to support everything that's going on you're selling on the back end but you know you've got a lot more flexibility there and you know had a great uh, leader uh, Craig Elford that, uh, you know, was somebody that I really looked up to. And, uh, you know, he shared a lot about like his, you know, methodology on kind of uh, a servant leadership. And, you know, as you mm. become into management, uh, the idea that, hey, his responsibility was serving his direct line team. Uh, and that was, you know, his management team. And then if he's doing a good job in serving his direct managers, his managers then can serve the reps, and then the reps can then serve the clients. And then you've got like this full life cycle of everyone is doing well, companies doing well. And it just really like clicked with me. And, you know, I feel like that, uh, you know, in life, I've seen so many people that you, know, you think about the number of hours you're working, you know, throughout your lifetime, it's, it's incredible, you spend more time, you know, working than often with your family. And, you want to make that enjoyable. And mm. I feel like as a manager, as a leader, we have that opportunity to create this very safe environment, uh, an environment where we can coach others to achieve more than they ever thought was possible and mm. to create a positive experience uh, there. Where's the line in all of that? Because I've talked to a few people about servant leadership and people who are into it are really passionate about it. I always struggle to try to, is there a line, or maybe, it, maybe there isn't, maybe that could be the answer, between serving others' expectations and setting expectations. And the reason why I brought that up is it was in one of the testimonials I was reading on, I skipped over it because it was quite long, but it said, you know, it was, Steve's a great guy, but he can be very demanding. And that to me speaks volumes. Now, I, d I didn't read it as demanding as in somebody's cracking the whip. I read it as demanding as somebody who set a high bar and set expectations, but also supported people in, in, in getting over that high bar. Maybe you could talk to me a little bit about that and, and the line particularly. Yeah, and I think, again, it's all about uh, trying to show people their, their potential and leading, you know, with example there. But, you know, as we said, uh, you know, look in you know, sales leadership, uh, the job's not easy, right? We, we're not put in this position to just do mediocre. We're, uh, mm. you know, brought here to do, you know, amazing things, to move the bar, to achieve things that maybe people didn't think was possible. And so, you know, through that, it's a lot of, uh, you know, helping people just to see, you know, focus on the, the key basics of what is necessary, the, you know, the typical blocking and tackling, and then really find ways to, 
to get more out of each and everything that we're doing, uh, to find mm. ways to grow, find ways to stretch. Uh, you know, I always tell my team, look, it's okay to fail. Uh, if we're not failing, uh, you know, we're not trying hard enough. Uh, I just mm. had one of my teammates at, uh, just this past week had, you know, made a, a pretty good blunder and he's fairly young, uh, in, as far as our relationship together has been here about six months. And, uh, you know, he came out and just said, called out to the team, uh, on our last uh, sales meeting uh, last week and said, Hey, uh, it was all of our management team and Hey, I made a mistake here. Here's what happened. And, uh, here's what I think we need to do about it. And in my one-on-one -on -one with him yesterday, I was like, Jared, I'm just so impressed with the way mm -hmm. you handled that. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I think the number one thing as a leader is, you know, look, mistakes are tough. And you know, we talked about what was mm -hmm. going through his head when he realized he made a mistake and, but bringing that forward because it's way better. And, you know, what he had going on in his mind was way worse than the actual outcome. And it's like, he just came forward, was honest brought the integrity. Hey, I made a mistake. And it's like, you know what? I appreciate you bringing that too. I know that uh, yeah. it's not easy to share. And, you know, he was able yeah. to bring the forward with that. Yeah. I think I wish more people realized that, that the power of being able to say, I screwed up. Here's where I screwed up. Here's how I fixed it. Or here's what, here's the lesson I've learned from it. Just the ability to be that and not try to cover it up or not try to deny it or not try to point fingers because people sometimes think i won't be seen or and it's, it's so obvious and it just not alone does it take all of that energy out of it but as you said i was really really impressed there's an honesty there's a there's now now you know you can rely on that person because we all make mistakes and i just think that's powerful so kudos but also kudos to you because i think what's also important for people to see in that is that you create the environment in which people feel protected in being vulnerable. And I think that's also a very, it, you, you can't have one without the other, I don't think. Yeah, and it's, I, I don't know, I think looking back, it's like that vulnerability is so, so key. And a lot of times, uh, I've only like recently really begin, you know, starting to share a little bit more of the tragedy and some of the things that have kind of made me who I am. And you know, it's interesting mm. as you become more vulnerable, the bond that, you know, brings you together mm. and you think that, you know, everyone else has got this perfect life. Right. Um, mm. And then as you start sharing, being more vulnerable, mm. you hear these other stories come out and you're like, oh, mm. my gosh, wow, that is incredible. I had mm. no idea that, you know, you had to go through that, that you're going through that today. And, you know, it just creates that sense of community. Mm. And can I ask, was there a catalyst that made you want to start sharing more about your own personal tragedies? Uh, Is there something that happened? Yeah, I think, you know, it's just been like trying to like come together to kind of get an understanding and a resolve of like what occurred then and uh, the good, the bad. I did have uh, one of my wife's good friends that uh, was doing a series where it was basically a bunch of blogs and she asked me to to do one on truth and uh it was something that i kind of put off i really wasn't one to open that door uh mm. and i did the you know shared the truth and what my truth was and uh it was just super powerful uh for me personally as i began sharing it and getting those feelings out and uh at the same time like in sharing that you know through her blog and uh just all family, friends, some that I've known for years and years and had no idea that, uh, 
you know, we had went through that. And so it was just really powerful. And just, I think at the same time, a big relief to be able to share that. I can, I can only begin to imagine. Um, who, who influences you most currently? Yeah. Yeah, I'd say, uh, you know, I think it's probably, uh, you know, my wife, uh, she is a, uh, you know, a great uh, mother. Um, she is someone that, you know, as I listen to her and the, the conversations we're having or she's having with our, our boys and just, I don't know, it brings great joy to me to, to feel that, you know, to see that mother, uh, you know, and yeah. child relationship and, you know, something that obviously I wish I still had today, but, uh, you know, it's like to see her, to see what she's mm. able to do with the boys and to kind of guide them and uh, mm. to have some of those tough discussions as well as those mm. fun things uh, in their everyday life. I'm smiling. What age are your boys, by the way? They are uh, 7, 9, and 12. Okay, so they're quite very, very young still. Yeah, no, I'm only smiling because my daughter was going away with her boyfriend last night to Belfast for a couple of nights and... Uh, only because that part of Ireland has fewer restrictions because it's part of the United okay. Kingdom and they've, you know, their vaccine is well ahead of ours, the program. And uh, so they're going there and there was a little bit of a, uh, a de not a debate is the wrong word, <laughs> but uh, my, my, my wife decided to remind her that she needed to be very careful. And, and of course that embarrassed my daughter who's nearly 20. And <laughs> so we agreed that, um, if she didn't want the talk from my wife, that I would give her the talk. <laughs> and that killed that conversation pretty fast. But uh, I just think it's funny, yeah, because um, it's very hard, I think, sometimes for parents then to switch off. That you have been such an important part of their lives in guiding them and challenging them and shaping them. And uh, that's a, it's an interesting process as well. Um, yeah. But uh, listen, I wanted to ask you also, I asked you about who influences and clearly you're, you've got a great relationship with your wife. Um, I wanted to get a sense of what are the kind of things, let's do work and then non-work at the moment. Oh, sorry, yeah, non-work. The kind of things that give you a great sense of accomplishment and achievement. The kind of things you would work on if you, you do it even if it, if, if it didn't pay any money. That it means that much to you what would that be yeah i think you know for for me right now from a work perspective it's it's all about the team and so you know we've got a, a sales program where we're bringing on people that uh in many cases may be fresh out of college and uh or may have a couple years of professional experience and we've got a program where we're basically we'll bring anyone that regardless if they've got any sales experience, if they've got the desire, they've got the hunger, the curiosity, you know, the grit, uh, the drive, we'll bring them on, put them through our training program. And it's basically all they do is just set appointments, set meetings, introduce, chat with different clients about, you know, business challenges, how we can help, you know, bring new solutions to bear uh, through our technology. And for me, I'm very passionate about that because, you know, I remember, you know, trying to, to cut my teeth to get into my career and how many people were like, hey, go out and get some experience and come back to me. And it's like, mm. but who's going to give me that shot? Who's going to be that opportunity to get that outside sales experience? 
you know, that I long for that everyone's saying I've got to get. And so for us, you know, we are willing to give that shot. We're, and we've got a great training program. We've got some amazing uh, sales leaders that will bring them through, have tremendous success. And, you know, I think at the same time, it's helping them to not only get their start, but coaching and guiding them on, mm. you know, their, their goals, right. And how I can be a part of that, uh, to, uh, you know, and so to think about the, the team that we're building here and the potential where they're going to be mm. in five years, 10 years, uh, you know, to me that that's super exciting just to have an influence and, uh, help, you know, these individuals to, uh, mm. you know, not only be able to achieve their personal goals, but, to think about what they can do for their families, uh, to be able to accomplish these things, send their kids off to school, whatever that might be. But uh, I love you know things like that and thinking about making a big impact on others. Mm, that's interesting. It almost sits at a crossroads. So there's an element of introduction to the commercial world of sales. There's an element of schooling in it. This almost feels like I won't say church, that's not quite that, but there's, there's a mission there. There's something about shaping young adults as it seems to be part of the mission in, in doing that. Is that something that's conscious? That you, Did you start out to do that or was it just something that morphed? I would say it's definitely something that's morphed. Um, you know, originally it was kind of more about the money and now it's become more about, you know, the relationships and more about accomplishing something mm. as a team, winning as a team. Um, helping to kind of build the resumes and, and sharing with team members, look, uh, you know, we're going through, you know, maybe a little bit of hardship or, you know, we've had a setback here, but you know what, this is okay. This is fine. This is natural. Mm -hmm. Don't, you know, a lot of times when people see their first, uh, you know, first thing that happens, whether one of their friends are working with that bails and goes to another organization, you know, that everyone's like, all right, we got to jump as well. And it's like, you know, just settle in there, take your time. Cause sometimes with others departure, it brings more opportunity for you. And so just keep it the goal in mind of what you're trying to accomplish. And, uh, you know, let's continue to work towards that. Yeah, that's interesting because that seems so counter to what I experienced in my first, let's say, a proper professional job. And I was working as a software engineer. And I noticed there was a couple of people I would have been pals with at work who left to get other jobs on better salaries. And it wasn't even so much the money, it was like they've left. And then you, then you begin to think. And then I remember there was a manager in there who was my boss's boss. And he thought I was a great chap for whatever reason. Until the day I handed in my notice and he never spoke to me after that. Wouldn't even look at me. That's, that's a culture. And again, you don't remember that for the right reasons. You're kind of then going, well, I'm, I'm glad to be out of there. And it uh, sounds to me like you're, you're creating a really good culture where you are with that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's so unfortunate. It's, uh, and I yeah. have worked for leaders that, uh, you know, you're their best friend, you're their confidant, and, uh, you know, you have drinks together, your families connect, and then once you depart, they take it so personally, right? And they take it personally, and it's like, man, why? And then it's also in that relationship severed and you're like, all right, what did I really mean to you? Was I just, you know, that's a pawn? Exactly, exactly. And was that uh, it? Was that what it was all about? Yeah, yeah that's madness. Yeah. And for, I don't, I don't know. I don't understand it. But um, you, so, so work. Okay, I, I got the work one. What about outside of work? Because I'm, I'm getting the sense, tell me if I'm wrong. Because I just picked up on earlier on the testimonies about being a hard worker, hard worker. 
that there may not be a huge amount of downtime because you got work and then you got you're a father what is it three children yep. yeah and that's a lot of work so talk to me about downtime if such a thing exists yeah. and, and and what what you like to do to kind of keep that space yours yeah paul i uh i believe you know in a big way about uh, we play hard we work hard um mm. so i uh you know love adventures um you know whether used to be riding a motorcycle done iron man uh you know did different types of races kayak races this and that and you know next week we're getting ready to do a, a little adventure running an rv and taking the boys uh, along with my brother-in-law and his two girls and we're going camping for you know four days down in the navajo lake and near new mexico oh. um and uh you know so i love just getting out and that's that's where i uh you know find great joy you know this past weekend mm. it was uh you know got to go you know hit the sticks do a little golfing next day it was like four hours with coaching uh, as well as, uh, you know, with my boys, uh, flag football teams, we had four hours of that. And so that's where it's kind of my unwind point. And, you know, I think it's one thing that's interesting is because a lot of, and I remember as a, you know, coming into my career, it was like the amount of work and you're working crazy, crazy hours. You're trying to get ahead and you realize at a certain point, you'll never, ever like get all the work completed. All your tasks will never, ever be completed. And so you yeah. got to find comfort in that. Otherwise you end up burning out. And so for me, yeah. it's, you know, the running, it's out mountain biking, it's, you know, fishing, uh, you know, on the evenings and instead of just, mm. you know, cuddling up with the couch, it's like, I want to be out and enjoying life. And, uh, that's where I get a lot of my different ideas of how to be a better father, how to be you know, a better leader, uh, better husband, et cetera. What possesses somebody to do an Ironman? Well, uh, I've got this weird thing of, uh, you know, once I see something and hear how challenging it is, I want to see, is it possible? So for a long time, uh, I was not a runner and thought, Hey, let's, I'm gonna try to do a 5k. I don't know if I could do that, you know, do a 5k and then it's like, do a 10k and then a half and then did a marathon and did a couple of them. And it was like, then I went to biking and doing some stuff there. And it's like, man, I wonder if I could ever do an Ironman. And, uh, one day a buddy and I were chatting and we said, you know what, let's do it. And of course we got the wife's permission because of the huge commitment. And, uh, it was okay. like just a phenomenal experience. And it was just yeah. like, man, I, I felt, uh, I know I felt like weird even sharing with people I was doing an Ironman because it was like, it was yeah. such a big goal. And it's like, yeah. are you crazy? Like, are you sure you can do this? And to have competed, it was just a, a great joy to be able to do. Were you all, because I've not done that. I did a marathon once, and it was funny you said about getting your wife's permission. Uh, I, I, just like you, never into running. And then one year I kind of thought, maybe I'd, you know, I'd love to be able to do a 5K. That was the extent of my ambition. And it was February, and I was out with my wife and I, her sister and her sister's husband. And my brother-in-law, Mark, he had trained for a marathon a couple of times, but for whatever, through injury, he was never able to enter the final race. He trained up close to it, but never managed it. And he said, this was his year. We're talking about kind of goals, goals for the year. And my wife said to me, uh, why don't you train for the marathon with Mark? And I said, are you crazy? Now, this was 2007. Are you crazy? I said, you, you know how I hate running. She goes, yeah. 
you're probably too old anyway. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. That was February. That October, I, I crossed the line. I did it. And, uh, and so because of that, I can really appreciate what goes into an Ironman because a marathon is only, it's only something you tack on to an hour. You know, it's, it's only part of it. And uh, I, I could never imagine doing the uh, swimming even. The cycling, I probably, I, I, I could get a sense of training for that. That wouldn't be an issue. I know it would take a lot of work. But the swimming, it's like it's a, it's, from what I've ever seen, I know it's, a lot, it's like two miles, isn't it? Yeah, 1.2. Yeah. But what you see is like this, just this, it's like these ants or something in the water. It's like there's so many. Like, how do you not just fall over each other or run into each other? Yeah, it's interesting, Paul. Uh, so I'm definitely more of a runner and a cyclist, and swimming was my weak point. Um, and so mm. I spent a ton of time, you know, in the pool. And I remember first time getting in the pool. And like I could swim one leg down, which was I think 25 meters, right? And mm -hmm. out of breath, had to stop and like just recover. And I do another one. And I'm like, how in the world am I ever going to do this, right? And uh, you know, it's interesting. I remember the day that all of a sudden it just clicked, and it was uh, one of the guys coworkers I worked with. His daughter had just died of cancer. She was seven years old, and I remember hearing that and the pain the sorrow and all that came with it um and i just got in the pool that day and was thinking about that as opposed to my breathing mm -hmm. and i did went from the most i had ever done was three links and i did four five and i'm like oh my gosh what's going on and i you know did 25 and i was mm -hmm. like whoa so that was the first time i ever got you know out of my head maybe and just was kind of mm. calm and that day when I actually did the race and I just had this peace and I mm. had the best swim in my life uh so it was just a, you know phenomenal so mm. it's just kind of a testament that uh you know look uh not always you know some of these things that may be your the biggest yeah. challenge you know if you can get your head into it um it can be a phenomenal experience for you yeah no for sure and it's it's interesting because I always had a sense that there, there, there has to be something driving you other than just the idea of crossing any line. There has to be some other fire that you either, in my case, it was you're trying to run away from something, something like again, kind of a, I won't call it a personal tragedy, but something that I, I wanted to move away from. And there was that, that, that kind of thing just kept you constantly going, going, going. And that for a lot of people, there's, there's usually something. If they're, not, if they're not normally a runner, if they are, you know, if some people have run all their lives and it's, to them it's just habit, it's what they do, it's who they are. But for people who kind of pick something up like that in, in life, there's usually something that, because uh, it's not about the money. There's, no. No, there's, no, there's no monetary reward. And it, yeah, and it's a lot of time. So kudos to you. Would you do another one? Um, I'd have, I would, um, but I definitely would, I think my wife would think twice about the permission level with the amount of commitment there. Uh, we, uh, our second, uh, child, Charlie was born six weeks prior to, uh, the Ironman race, which is peak training. And so, uh, it was a little tough having our second baby mm. and me training, you know, what, mm. 25, 30 hours a week. 
uh, was mm. and working, you know, uh, so it made it a little tough. But uh, yeah, I would love yeah. to do something like that. Uh, I just love like the experiences and uh, getting out there and doing you know new things and challenging the body. Yeah, no, no, for sure. Um, talk to me about the future, Steve, as you look forward over the next five, ten years. What are the kind of things you, you want to be involved in, and where do you want to be spending your time? Yeah, I think uh, you know, from a personal perspective, uh, continuing to uh, be very involved with with the boys, uh, mm -hmm. with uh, continuing to uh, for them to grow, to develop, and just being a part of that—that's uh, obviously super important. Uh, you know, just being around family in general, and then as I think about you know, from a career perspective, uh, you know, a lot of things have changed since COVID. Um, I used to be mm -hmm. on the road, uh, traveling pretty much every week. Uh, three days a week and uh, you know now it's like having been home and having seen that look we can be very effective from home uh, we quadrupled the size of our sales team over the last year with COVID and uh, all the training's been remote right and so we've mm. been very effective there and so uh, you know I think it's going to be a whole new environment as we think mm. about uh, how we have relationships the expectations yeah. of how work gets done yeah. um, and so you know I think it's uh, it's gonna be fun it's kind of like the next yeah. chapter has begun um, you know I think uh, you know for my personal goals you know I'd like to uh, eventually be that president that CEO that uh, you know leads an organization and uh, yeah. So I've still got some development and growth there to, to work on, but uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Here's a COVID question then. What, what would you keep from the changes that we've all had to undergo over the last 18 months? What would you like to keep from that that says, you know, that wasn't all bad? And then what is it you can't wait to change? Yeah, so I think... Um, having a little bit of the more balance between, you know, work, travel, and just being at home. Um, it's been great, you know, you know, we had the kids at the time, it was completely crazy. You know, we had three boys here, wife's helping to, you know, do the homeschooling, get them on the Zoom calls and everything. But uh, just getting an opportunity to experience new things, we did, uh, instead of going out to eat a lot, spend a lot more time in the kitchen and cooking family meals and when we were kind of isolated, weren't supposed to be out in these big groups, getting to do more things with my sisters and her, their families and just doing smaller mm. group settings. Mm. Um, and so we definitely, I think the, the family bond and those connections were stronger. Um, I think at the same time, you know, we found new ways to, to connect to bond with others, uh, you know, through work, uh, doing different things, whether, you know, zoom call happy hour type things or, you know, meetings at the park or, just getting away, away from the city, all the hustle and bustle and just being out in nature, right? So I think those mm. are things that, uh, you know, definitely want to continue to, uh, to see. And, you know, I think the thing that uh, was missing the most is uh, just that connection, you know, that physical mm. connection with people and yeah. uh, with the team and being able to give people high fives and, uh, you know, give them a hug, uh, you know, go to lunch and have those, you know, discussions that uh, just a little bit more natural than it would be doing it, you know, through a Zoom call. Yeah. What did I want to, there was a question I wanted to, yes, I know what it was. Um, one of the sacred cows 
for me that existed before pandemic was training had to be live. And I remember having this was November 2019. I was in, I was in Baltimore for a conference and there was a company here in Dublin I used to go into every Wednesday morning and do a two-hour session with them. And this particular week I was going to be away. And I didn't want them to break the rhythm of the two hours every week. So I said, look, I said, um, I'm going to be up with jet lag very early. Maybe we should do the session via Zoom. And they said, no, not a chance. Just won't work. Forget it. And that was the November. And of course, March came along and everything changed. And to me, that was a sacred cow for them, for more so than for me. I wanted to do it. But they said, no, 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 you can't do it. I'm wondering what are the sacred cows that you have discovered that where you would have said, no, 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 that just won't work. But it's actually worked out just fine. And you'll probably hold on to a lot of it. What would that be? Yeah, I think, you know, training. Um, again, we went from, you know, five sales reps to 23 sales reps uh, over the course of the last year. And it was a new job for me. So it was brand new, starting new relationships and thinking about, man, how are we going to grow and scale and do this when we're, you know, in many cases taking, you know, uh, you know, reps that have never had a job, um, mm. coming fresh out of college and how are we going to do the training? How are we going to make these connections? What's the culture going to be all about? Um, mm. And so I think, you know, it's been amazing to see just how effective we can be. Um, I know a lot and I've worked for a lot of uh, CEOs that in our business today is kind of very similar to one where the expectation was you were always in the office, right? And, you know, as we move into and are starting to open up the office again, you know, as leaders, we're like, listen, we cannot go back to the, you know, the old way because, you know, it's not going to vibe with people and we've got to, you know, create an opportunity where people want to come in to the office as opposed to requiring it. And so, uh, you know, I think there's just so many things that, you know, have changed and, uh, you know, we've got to, as business leaders, we've got to be thinking about the impacts. We've got to think about how the rules have changed. And as I look at, uh, you know, one of the big things, I don't know, Paul, if you guys are seeing this, but the there's right now there's a war on talent. Um, and what I mean by that is last fall when we were hiring and a lot of people were letting go of people, you know, for two sales rep positions, we would have 140 people applying. And so there was just phenomenal talent we could acquire. Well, today, you know, we're struggling to find right. You know, we just hired four people last month. We're looking to hire another six um, <clears throat> for our June 28th class. And we're still like three people short and we've only had like, you know, 30 people apply. And so it's just changed because now San Francisco is coming into Denver since they're all remote and they are paying San Francisco wages in Denver. Ah, and yeah, we I, can't I, compete. You know, funny. Yeah. Sorry, Steve, to cut across you. I was looking at the other way around. I was looking at you saying, okay, well, if more people can be remote, and I think we've all accepted that now that it does work, uh, then you can go you can get employees from other places but i didn't think about san francisco wanting to pick your pocket yeah so now we are looking at all right what other um, tier two markets can we go to 
where the cost of living is lower and we can come in and pay Denver wages and be a phenomenal increase for others. And, you know, how do we, and I think with diversity and all those things, we can now focus on other markets that maybe weren't, you know, uh, we couldn't attract talent from today. And so anyway, these are all things we've got to really focus on, build new strategies to, you know, figure out the future. I just wonder, will that not even itself out? Because I'm thinking, if I were, say, in San Francisco and I could get San Francisco wages, but I'm now working for a company based in Colorado, well, I, don't, I no longer need to live in San Francisco. Yeah, and we and, see a lot of that. Yeah, and, and therefore over time it may level itself out again, but it'll probably take some time. And in the meantime, your, your requirement is right now, not in two years' time. Yeah. Um, Okay, interesting, good stuff. Uh, Steve, I'm, I'm conscious of time. I want to respect that. A uh, couple of quick questions I wanted to ask before we finish up. If your, your house is on fire, uh, your family, they're all safe, including your phone and your, your laptop. And uh, I, I always introduce this, by the way, because when I didn't, and I said, one, one item would you run back in and grab if you had time to grab only one item? The number of people that say, my phone. Like, no, 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 you can replace your phone. What one item can you get? So, you know, you know the question. What one item would you run back in, assuming everything important was safe? What would you, and, and why? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm looking at it right now, and I'm thinking uh, the one thing that... Uh, so I, I recently had uh, Achilles. I blew my Achilles out and uh, been going through a, a long repair on that. And uh, the one I'm, you know, a runner at heart, hadn't done a run for two years now. And uh, so I'm just looking here at the one thing that's kind of helped me get through this past two years has been this Peloton bike. So it may not be the traditional thing you would think about, but, uh, you know, it's the one thing that, uh, you know, I've kind of developed this relationship <laughs> with, right? Where I get yeah. up early and hop sure. on the bike and uh, yeah. it's my way to, to get my yeah. exercise I'm, in, to think, to connect. And so I'm yeah. thinking, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm laughing, Steve. I, I am. I have to say I'm laughing because I can just imagine the faces on the, on the firemen. <laughs> okay, you got, you got two seconds. Run back in and grab one. <laughs> and you're coming out trying to grab this peloton. <laughs> yeah. I, but uh, no, I, it's it's symbolic. I get it. It's something that's probably has uh, been a lifeline for you if you've blown your Achilles, and that must have been painful. How how did you blow it? Well, running on uh, it. I was uh, again trying to always trying to set new targets, right? And along with the Iron Man, like you thought that was never possible. Uh, I was like, man, I wonder if I could someday qualify for Boston uh, to run the marathon, and mm. uh, I needed to shave off uh, what fifty. Uh, 50 seconds a mile. So I had a lot of time I had to cut. And so began the training, started working on it and uh, started getting Achilles tendonitis and had to take some time off. Didn't really help. Went to the doctor, gave me a cortisone shot and uh, tried to get back after it. And they said, hey, just take a month off and did the race. PR didn't get my Boston qualifying time, but uh, I was What is the qualifying time, by the way, for Boston? Uh, so for... For me, it would have been three hours and what was it? Three hours and twenty minutes. Right. That's and that's, my that's fastest time I had run was four ten. So you know, I had to 
shave a bunch of time. And so anyway, um, it didn't, I took a month off, didn't recover, ended up 11 months later, going to see all these specialists, getting therapy and just playing flag football with my boys and uh, it just snapped. And so I had the surgery and uh, anyway, it's been tough because, you know, not only through COVID, but uh, I mean, I just seeing these guys out there running, I'm just starting to do some running like a mile. Um, but, uh, it's going to take a while to recover fully. So yeah, so my Peloton now, that's my savior. I can ride that and get my workout in, clear my head and be a better, uh, father and all, uh, having, getting a little of that out of me. Yeah. I would imagine training at 5,000 feet would help as well in, in trying to do a PB and a out of town marathon. Yeah. I was hoping for that and a little help from everywhere and. Unfortunately, it didn't all come together. So yeah, uh, I was going to say you focus on the downhills, but you forget you have to run up them first before you can get the downhills. True. Um, I was actually when you said you do a train for Boston, I was assuming because my understanding I've never done it, but there's a few steep hills in Boston, one in particular that is very hard on the joints because you're running downhill, which is yeah. kind of counterintuitive to people who don't run, but that can actually be harder. Um, Right, final question. When your time on this planet is done and there's a statue erected in your honor and on the base plate there's an inscription to you, what would you like it to say? Uh, I think, you know, it would just be calling out the, you know, the impact that I've, you know, had on here on my time on Earth. So whether that be with family, whether that be with coworkers, uh, whether that be in, you know, going to third world countries and, you know, providing a little bit of hope to them and mm. just encouragement that, uh, you know, you're not alone and that, uh, you know, you can get through this challenges will occur, but, uh, you can do it. Yep. He, he made a difference. That's yeah. it. Super. Steve Halleck, I want to thank you so much for being my guest today. I thoroughly enjoyed that. Uh, you're, you're a fascinating character. And uh, I, I, I now understand why people enjoy and also benefit from working with and for you. That there's a lot. So thank you for being my guest. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Paul. I really appreciate it. I think this is uh, similar to my uh, Truth blog. This has uh, made a big impact on me and bringing clarity. So thanks for, uh, for the opportunity here. Thank you.